please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus, Titus chapter 2. We're looking at the lives that evidence grace and the lives that influence grace. They evidence the grace of God and they are influencers through the grace of God. Let's read uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. And here's the key, that the word of God may not be reviled. That the word of God may not be reviled. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, this is a... Uh, a text that perhaps we are very familiar with, and perhaps some of us are very unfamiliar with. This is a te- text perhaps that some of us feel like applies too much to us, and others perhaps feel like applies in no way to us. But we pray that you, through the power of your Spirit, would speak the truth of your Word into our hearts, even from this passage of scripture and we pray that we would be instructed and we would be um, shaped to be ministers of your gospel to have lives that evidence your grace and also have lives that are instruments of your grace to others we pray all this in Jesus' name amen all right so i have the perfect vacation planned already for next summer I know exactly what my family is going to do, where we're going to go, and exactly how we're going to spend our time on this vacation. It's, it's the perfect plan. It has, it has no pitfalls, no problems whatsoever. This is what we're going to do. Early June, we're going to hop onto an aeroplane. We're going to take that aeroplane halfway around the globe. We're going to land that plane in Paris, France. We are going to get a beautiful hotel, and the first day we're in France, we are going to go to the Louvre. The crown achievement of art on display in the world. This is where you go to see some of the great pieces of art on the planet. This is where the Mona Lisa is kept, or at least a copy of the Mona Lisa. We're not sure. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get there the, the first day of our vacation. It's going to be so fun. We're, we're going to show up at the door of the art museum. We're going to be the first in line. And as soon as they let us into the building, we're going to run and race to the first hallway full of artwork that we can find. And we're going to sit down on one of those benches and just take in the glory, take in the majesty of all of those amazing picture frames. 
We're going to just watch and look at the showcases and, and look at how the artwork is perfectly displayed in every frame. And we're going to say, wow, that's a nice frame. Man, I'm so glad I came to Paris to look at that frame. That is a showcase of all showcases. No, that's not why you go to Paris, France and go to the Louvre to look at picture frames. You don't go there for that. You go there to look at the artwork inside the showcase, don't you? That's why you go to an art museum. You're, you're not actually very interested in the frame at all. Now, the frame is important, and I expect a museum of that reputation to have some pretty nice frames, right? I mean, if you don't have a very good frame, uh, what is that saying about your picture? It's not worth very much, right? Uh, we're just going to leave it over there on the floor. We don't want to take some time and money to put it in a frame and put it on the wall. It's not that valuable to us, right? And then sometimes if you have a bad frame, it takes away, it distracts, right? I, I hope I have good frames at, at that art museum. But I'm not going there to see the frames. I'm going there to see the majestic picture inside the frame, Right? That's why you go there. You, you go there because you want to be shown something. Uh, uh, a showcase has a, has a purpose. A frame has a purpose. But it is meant to show and display a picture of art. It is meant to not take anything away, but, but showcase all of its glory, right? It's not there to distract. It's not there to bring down. For sure, it's not there to do that, but it's not there to be the main focus of attention. But it is very important at the same time. Now, I I tell you this joking story of my vacation plans next year. I'm not actually planning to go to Paris, France. No. Planning going to uh, Knott's Berry Farm 17 times with you guys next year. Uh, (laughs) I tell you this parable of sorts to say that That is what Paul is after here in Crete. He wants the lives of these believers on this little island in the Mediterranean to showcase and point to the value, but but primarily point to the picture of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants them to reflect this gospel glory and not take away or distract from the gospel glory of the message they proclaim. But the main purpose of their lives is to live a life that is fitting, that is keeping, that is not taking anything away, but that gives maximum attention to the gospel message that they profess. He wants them to live lives that are, what does it say in verse 1? in accord, that are fitting with, that are fitting the picture that they are showcasing. He wants them to live lives that are are showcases in accord with the main thing. A a, a life that reflects and, and doesn't distract or take away from the very message they are proclaiming. Now, there are ways that you can live a life that is greatly distracting from the gospel message you proclaim. To the point where People can't listen to your message. They're too distracted by the lousy framing that it is holding it up, right? But Paul wants 
these believers, by the grace of God, to live lives that are in accord with sound doctrine. That's what he means there. Lives that are fitting. Lives that properly showcase the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and last week we talked about how, how older men should have qualities that showcase the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine. And this week... We're going to look at three qualities of older women who showcase the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are qualities that showcase the gospel. Now, I, um, I have two problems. I have two difficulties that I'm already struggling with here in all of your eyes. I can see it all in you. I have to convince, I have to convince everyone here of something. There, there's, there's, two, there's two things. Either you are a, uh, a woman in here who maybe is tired of Titus too. I've heard it a lot, right? Or you are a young man who says, this has nothing to do with <laughs> me. I am not old and I'm not a woman. How in the world are you going to do this? Matter of fact, we were joking in our leader chat uh, before tonight, and Joel had the audacity to say, I can't wait to see how you apply this to 7th and 8th grade boys. <laughs> to which I said back, I am glad I am not the small group leader that has to lead a discussion with 7th and 8th grade boys. But I would say there is actually an obvious motivation for why everyone in this room should be very interested in learning these qualities. There is an, an obvious motivation. It's clear as day to me. I'll tell you what that is after I give you the qualities. But there is a good reason. Trust me, there, there's a reason you want to listen to these things. I'm just not going to tell you right now. So, quality number one of an older woman who showcases the gospel, number one, she is reverent in her character. She is reverent in her character. You see that there in verse 3. She is reverent in behavior. You could say it this way. She possesses a spiritual poise about her. Now, an older woman is exactly that, an older woman. Probably she's past the child-bearing age, and she's past the child-raising age, and now she's probably in a home by herself, maybe with grandkids. But she, she is in the, 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 the twilight years. She's not in the, in, in the throes of her deathbed yet. She is not feeble, but she is not young anymore. This is who we're talking about. But to these women, they have an opportunity to display a spiritual gospel rooted poise about them. You know what poise is? Poise means you carry yourself with a certain dignity. Your life has a balance to it. You, you, you don't go this way and that way. You are poised. You have qualities. You are not fretful. She is not foolish. She is not silly. She is spiritually poised. She is not brought down by the company that she she is surrounded by, but she influences the company she is surrounded by through her dignity. Uh, she can be gracious and graceful even in the most awkward of situations. She can relate to people that are immature in a mature way. She has spiritual poise. Her very demeanor, in fact, is a kind of a, a slap in the face of sobriety to the foolish around her. Wow. She didn't 
get overwhelmed by the situation. Wow, she didn't resort to that level of foolishness. Wow, her tongue didn't go off like that. As a slap in the face to foolishness around her. She has spiritual poise. The word is reverent. This is the main and basic quality that Paul wants to paint. The, the picture of this older woman that is a showcase of the gospel of Jesus Christ is someone of reverence. This is the main quality. Everything else that he says about older women either build towards this or are the result of this. So this is the main thing. What does it mean to be someone who is reverent? It means, the, the word there is, is, is pretty interesting. It, it has to do with priests and temples and temple courts. And so some people, some lexicons, want to say it is being priest-like. Now, you want to be careful with that. The, the, the Bible never calls women to the priesthood, and the Bible doesn't call women to be pastors or elders or anything like that. But here it is suggesting that her attitude and her bearing is like someone who is a constant resident and worker in the very presence of God. She is someone who behaves as if she is continually serving the glory of God in all of her life. She is someone who lives her life with a certain seriousness about her and sobriety about her. Her whole life is in service to God. That is the picture here. Her whole life is before God or seen as in the presence of God. She has an imagination in her faith of, I am in the presence of God continually, and I get to serve Him continually. That gives her spiritual grace and poise in all that she does. She is continually, her whole life long, dedicated to the praise of God. Her life is composed, dignified. She knows the proven faithfulness of God. She is not shaken by any situation in her life. She is someone who is reverent in her behavior. Where, where does such reverence like that come from? Where do you get that? Well, we see hints of it here in, in the words, but Paul, Paul uses just short words to describe her, but she is reverent in behavior. This is a word that refers to an outer manner that is the result of inner character, right? She, she is this way. She has this seriousness about her, this sobriety, this dignity, this spiritual poise about her because of the way she thinks, the way the inside of her operates. She is gracious and she is dignified because she is gracious and she is dignified from within. She thinks about people the way she thinks about people because that is who she is on the inside. She uses words of grace because she first thinks thoughts that are gracious to others. How do you think thoughts that are gracious? Well, you need to be a new person. You need to be recreated from within. But practically, how do you think thoughts that are gracious? Change in thinking, gracious thinking, is the result of a life that is dedicated to prayerful thinking, right? That is how you think differently about the world you live in. You live, you live with, a, with a certain faith in God in all things. Your words reflect an awareness that you're serving and worshiping God in all things. That comes from the way you think, and the way you think comes from the way you pray. Or to say it this way, who your God is shapes and guides your prayers. 
how you pray shapes and guides your thinking, and how you think shapes and guides your behavior. She is a woman reverent in her behavior, and that's more than just the outer behavior. She is a woman who is reverent in her inner being. She has spiritual poise from within. And that is a grand thing to see in a woman. That's the one way it comes, in that positive way. But she is also gracious by a certain avoidance. And this is where we get to our next quality of someone who showcases the gospel. And notice this can be anyone. (laughs) It's not just to older women, but it is something particularly precious when it is seen in older women. Another quality of someone who showcases the gospel, this this is the way she pursues that reverence. This is how she grows in that quality that radiates reverence and dignity and spiritual poise. Number two, She is not like the world around her. She is not like the world around her. So first off, we see she she is she is she is reverent in her character. And then secondly, we see that she is not like the world around her. Her poise is a striking contrast to the world that surrounds her. That is what makes her stand out. As a matter of fact, her, her poise arrests the attention of many. Why are you like that when everybody else is like this? And in some, it causes irritation even. Now, you see there in the middle of verse 3, Paul uh, describes what she isn't. And, and by the way, you, you see there's a little, like, a little structure there, right? He has a, a positive description, two negatives, and a positive. He's, he's surrounding the description of this woman in her positive qualities. But notice it's also very important to godliness that you do not do certain things. And Paul uses two negative statements to kind of show how she becomes this main thing. And, all of, and these two negative statements are basically saying one thing. She is, one word, self-control. And that is what makes her such a difference, such a contrast to the world around her. She is self-controlled. This is a key word for our section, isn't it? Everybody in this section, in some way or another, is called to a life of self-control. You want to be someone who is different than the world, who stands out because you love Jesus. You need to live a life of self-control. And this ability to live a life of self-control, mind you, is, is not by your own strength. It's because, remember, the grace of God in verse 12 trains you in self-control. The Holy Spirit in your life produces the fruit of self-control. Verse 12. This is, uh, there is this, there's these two negative qualities here once again. Then you'll see they're, they're connected. They're, they're very connected in how they describe and how they describe one another. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. And, but just to, just to say this about these negative things that she's not, um, Paul does not mince words here at all. To be out of control is an ugly thing. To be a woman without reverence of behavior is an ugly thing that you want to stay far away from and be far away from if you are a woman as well. Paul uses words that are uncomfortable to hear, to even think about. Number one, she is not a slanderer. Now you're like, that's not such a bad word. Well, I mean, when I read it in the Greek, it said this. 
She is not a diabolos. What does that sound like to you? That is the word that we get the devil from. She is not a she-devil. What? This word devil is used often in connection to refer to the devil's primary work of being an adversary and a slanderer of the people of God. Is that the kind of person you want to be? Is that the kind of person you want to be around? A slanderer? An accuser? Someone who bends her tongue continually to bring down, destroy, and ruin someone else for her own advantage? That is what a she-devil is, someone who uses slander. She's trying to get an advantage by bringing someone down. I mean, the picture of the devil is very striking. The devil in John 10.10 is someone who steals, kills, and destroys. She must not be like this. This is, by the way, just a word that's describing malicious gossip. That's what gossip looks like on the inside. It's actually a very ugly thing. Slandering is malicious gossip. Spreading little juicy rumors about someone else is fun on the outside, but ugly on the inside. Who does it make you look like? Who does it make you act like? And this is, by the way, a very easy trap to fall into, right? It always starts with such a um, sincere desire, in your mind at least. It starts off with, ah, we're just sharing prayer requests about someone that we have no intention of actually talking with. But did you see the way she did? It can start off very, very kind, but it, it often can turn into very, um, very evil slander. It can be just an enjoyment of talking about the latest gossip. That is what it is. It's scandals. It's a lover of scandals and a lover of spreading the news of scandals all over. Do you know what she did? Do you know what she did? Do you know what she wore? Be cautious, by the way, of a concern. A concern that is without care, a concern that is without any desire to go and talk to the person themselves, that is just often slander covered in righteous garbs. The other word, the other word is very strong as well. She is also not a slave to much wine. It's a word that is, that is referring to being captured by something in the past and continually captured by it in the present. She is dominated, her life is dominated by much wine. Now, intoxication, strong drink, we know all about that. But I want you to understand that apparently intoxication was a bad problem that the early church faced because in every letter we hear talk of it. Every leader list is saying, beware of this guy who doesn't have self-control. And usually that is connected to lack of self-control with drink. And it's interesting that Paul puts this in a list of older people. Perhaps this is a problem that older people face in a unique way. Maybe they turn to strong drink to, to kind of relieve their physical pain. Maybe they turn to strong drink to relieve their frustrations in life. Maybe they turn to some sort of substance to relieve some sort of loneliness. Whatever it is, they, they fall into this trap. They, they fall into this trap of being controlled and dominated by the pain in their life. Right? And that can, this can refer to anybody who is a slave. A slave to something in their life because of the, the difficulty and the discouragements and the sadness of this world. They are controlled by this world rather than being controlled by the Spirit of God. 
By the way, these two words are always linked together. You find them often in the New Testament, and they're always together. And I think there's a reason for that, right? Right? The, the woman who is loose with her tongue is probably loosened by the wine in her belly, right? And those two go together. Or you could say it like this. You, you speak out of what fills and controls you. That's why the Bible is so clear about not being controlled by wine, because it, it, it controls you. It, it, you lose control. And that is why it is so dangerous. And by the way, just a little background side note, both of these were hallmarks in uh, uh, the first century's version of the women's liberation movement. I know you perhaps maybe don't think of the first century as a time when the women's movement was active, but there were forms of it even in that day. There, were, there was this kind of woman that shirked the traditional roles that were given to her. She despised the home, and she was known as someone who, in seeking freedoms to be like men, Usually the excessive freedoms of sin that they, she saw in the men around her often spoke freely and brashly and gave herself to drink. That was the culture of a woman, uh, one of those liberated women of the day. And this, this is what Paul wants. Paul wants the older women to be, se- to be self-controlled, but also under God's control primarily. He wants them to live a distinct life that shows that they are controlled by the grace of God. These are the markers there, probably other markers as well, but these are the markers for some reason that are what are given to us. By the way, a reverent woman doesn't do this with her mouth and with her life. It is is implied because she has something more important to do. This is her motivation, why she keeps herself out of any other vice or any other controlling thing in her life. It's because she has something more valuable to do. She is motivated. And this actually leads us to our final quality of a gospel-showcased life. This is the result of that reverence that I was talking about before. She is a, number three, talking picture. She is a picture that talks. Her life is a powerful display. It is a powerful teaching tool. And not only that, she can talk herself. Her life has a dynamic influence on the people around her. It is a value in the church community. It is something that is prized by the community and not hid by the community. By the way, this is not suggesting a teaching role, but look at look at verse 3, the end of 3. They are to teach what is good, verse 4, and so train the women. Well, once again, this is, this is in context of the local home, and notice the, the direct object of their teaching is younger women in their life. But who is this woman? She is a talking picture. Who is she? She is a good teacher. She teaches what is good. Now, it's one word there in the Greek. She is, uh, they are to teach what is good. It could be referring either to the quality of her character or the content that she teaches. But it's interesting to me that the word could just be translated good teacher. It almost seems to suggest that what is being called for here is she is a good picture A good picture of the very truths she communicates with her mouth. She lives what she talks. And and remember, this is not an easy thing to become. A a, A reverent, dignified woman takes hard work and prayer and years of persistence to become like this. And she is a good picture. 
She teaches what is good, and she's also a good picture of what she teaches. She's a compelling picture, because notice the result in verse 4 is she trains younger women to love their husbands. She teaches them in what is good, because she is full of goodness and good speech. I, I think it's important to have a good picture along with the instructions, don't you? Do you ever get a like a project in the mail, like a, a new Lego set? Do you ever, you know, try to make a recipe? Do you ever like try to fix something like I don't know, an alternator on your van last Friday with Russell Reason? And 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 you're following this YouTube video. This this is just purely just an illustration, not really happening. You're following this YouTube video and the guy gets to the most important part of the YouTube video where he's going to, he spent 10 minutes describing all of this pointless detail and now he's here at the, I'm not bitter or anything, he's now here at the the most important part of the explanation, how you actually get the alternator out and it would be helpful if he said turn it a little bit to the right and then pull it out or pull it up and then pull, but instead you know what he says, you know what his picture is, the verbiage that he uses, the word picture that he chooses out of all the words in heaven he uses just pull it right out and it takes you forever because you don't have a good picture to help you illustrate the the instructions that are written to you on paper sometimes it's very helpful to have a good picture of what you're trying to do and that's what these reverent dignified women do they train with a good picture They can look back on their life and they can say, look at this. Look at the benefits of doing it this way. Look, I can tell you the grace of God as he has been to me in this way, as I have followed him. The word there, though, verse 4, so trained to teach the younger women, is an interesting one. It it, it says in LSB, she instructs young women in sensibility. ESV is much weaker. She trains them. But LSB suggests that this is a bit of a stronger word, and of course it is. She instructs them, she makes them self-disciplined, self-controlled. That's the kind of woman she is, by the power of her example and by the grace of her speech. She... She, she slaps them in the face, one commentator writes. She slaps them in the face with seriousness. Her words, her life, do this to foolishness, to giggliness, to girlishness, because of the quality of her character and the graciousness of her speech. That's the kind of woman she is. And she can train younger women around her. And by the way, This isn't a picture of some Cruella de Vil. This isn't a picture of someone stern, mean, sour, grouchy, sleepy, ugly. This is a picture of spiritual poise, right? Her life is dominated by this one word, reverent. She lives her life that is marked by a dignity that constantly is seeing itself in the service of God. She is living before God in the presence of God continually. And she is full of grace. Her life is a showcase of the gospel itself as well. It it demonstrates what we see in verses 11 all the way through verses 14, doesn't it? That grace from God has appeared. This woman is not like me. Something has come into her life. Something has invaded her life that I want. 
This woman is a demonstration, a showcase that the grace from God changes you in your actions and in your attitudes. Notice, when you receive the grace of God, you enter the training school of Christ. Verse 11, it trains us, God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what her life is a demonstration of. Her life also showcases that the grace of God delivers you. This woman is a humble woman, full of spiritual grace, because she sees herself as not getting what she deserves. What she deserves is judgment from God and separation eternally from Him, but what she gets instead is to be a servant in His courts. And that is how she views herself. Verse 14, she sees herself as someone for whom Christ gave himself to redeem her from all lawlessness and to purify her. This grace from God also has impassioned her. Notice, she lives a life that is eager for Jesus to return. Verse 13, she is waiting for her blessed hope. Verse 14, again, she is purified, a people for his own possession, and she is now zealous for good works. Her life is a showcase of the glorious grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you say, what does the gospel look like? You point to this woman and you say, that is what the gospel looks like. The grace has appeared in her life. Now, Why do you want to listen to that message? I think it's quite obvious. Those qualities, number one, are not qualities that are just appealing, just attractive in older women. I want to be someone who thinks differently. I want to be someone who behaves differently because I think differently. I want to be someone who's full of grace. I want to be someone who also is living a life as though they are in God's constant service every single day. I want to be someone who is not controlled, who is not shaped by the world around them, but by the God who has called them. I want to be someone who is an influence to others in my life. I want to be someone who is sharp, who shapes other people. That should be an obvious motivation to all of us. But there's another obvious motivation, right? I mean, if if you're a younger woman, this should be very obvious. It's obvious to me, right? You want to know these qualities. Why? Because you want to find a woman like this who can train you, who can, you know, slap you in the face a little bit. And, and shape who you are, change who you are, and be an influence of God's grace in your life. If you don't know what she looks like, you won't be able to find her, will you? But there is actually another, I think, very obvious uh, motivation for wanting to learn these qualities, particularly if you are a younger man. I think if you're a younger man, you should want to know these qualities because... Ultimately, you want to find a woman who becomes these qualities. Very obvious to me. You want to find a woman who is on her way to becoming these qualities. No, you don't want to get married at 60. 
right? But you want to find a woman that is obviously on her way to becoming these qualities because that's the kind of woman you want to grow old with, right? Someone who is dignified, right? This is the kind of woman you want. Maybe not right now. Definitely not right now for most of you. But this is someone who you want to be able to recognize instantly, right? What is she like? Who, who is the young woman who is well on her way to these qualities? Does she have a life that is growing before God? Does she love and delight constantly in His presence? Is she growing in the enjoyment of being with her God? And has this awareness of a life before God always... Is she growing in a peaceableness? Is her life marked by contentment and joy in all circumstances? Is she someone who could be described as calm, graceful, faithful? Is she growing in a sense of spiritual poise that showcases the gospel? Is she putting off things? Is she putting on things? Is her thinking changing year by year? Is she growing more in the grace of Jesus Christ? Or more in the world? Is she in Christ's training school? Is she chasing after what the world is chasing? Or is she chasing after something more? Is she chasing after one of you? Or is she chasing after something more? You actually don't want her to be chasing after you now. You, immature you, that's, that's not a woman of spiritual poise. That's foolishness. Is she becoming a godly influence? Is she becoming constantly someone who is shaping other people by the way the grace of the gospel is shaping her? Or is she merely being influenced? You want these qualities. You want to know these qualities, don't you? I do. This should be obvious motivation for all of us. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, I I thank you for... Um, this passage of scripture and I, and I pray that indeed it would pierce in and, and strike right in our heart and to all of us where we all fall short and need to rely on your grace to change and to grow and to all of us in, in our desires for what we want both what we want to be and who we want to be with I pray that this passage would indeed sanctify our mind and our hearts. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.